if you see her, you are screwed. Yep. And not just you. 134 movies, yeah. and that's not going to be listed. It still isn't a happy ending. But at least it's a, they're reunited, yeah. you, you yeah. know, and it feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> Metalheads this week here on the Fright Club podcast, <laughs> breaking out some Judas Priest. Perfect, really a perfect title for this week. It's Judas Priest and Parental Guidance. So that's that's the first half of the PG-13. And welcome. This is the Fright Club podcast. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we're from MadWolf.com talking about that rating and how scary we can get with it in our favorite PG-13 horror movies. This is one I've I guess I thought we did this already, but maybe we've just considered it. Yeah, we've before. we've considered it for a long time. So this is the first time we really pulled that trigger, and right. uh, and and you know it's a good list. But you know what else? What's funny about it is that there are some surprising G-rated horror films. Not enough for a whole podcast. Yeah, but there are some. The Haunting, which I love, and then Creature from the Black Lagoon officially is rated G. <laughs> but also Come this on, one, kids. I know this one really surprised me. Uh, Dracula has risen from the grave. So one of the Christopher Lee Hammer Dracula movies rated wow. G. I know, but it's... it was PG. That'll get you. Yeah. Well, of course, if you remember now, now all the we've got fuzzy math on this, right? We've got it's a top six, top five. Yes. And they're all fairly recent because if you remember, the PG thirteen rating did not even come in until nineteen eighty four. Right. Uh, do you remember what the first movie was for PG thirteen? Temple of Doom. No, but you're close. Red Dawn. Yes. Oh. Temple of Doom is is given the credit for spurring the PG thirteen. Oh, because it was PG and people were so, so mad because yeah, it was they, racist. Yeah, I mean, because of the violence. Because they ripped that heart out and things. <laughs> and it's just one of the things that. And I'm not saying he's right or wrong or whatever. It's one of the things that Steven Spielberg takes credit for. <laughs> I guess after that came out and caused the furor. He says in an interview that I read that he was talking with Jack Valenti and, and just suggested that type of 13, 14-year-old mm-hmm. rating I see. Uh, that it came up. So that's why, you know, it's 1984 on, from Red Dawn on. There you go. A cultural watershed. That's Red what Dawn. Red Dawn, exactly. Clearly, no clearly, question. Uh, that after that, uh, 84 on, we've had the PG-13. But so, so you're saying that, that that's why these, these PG movies were PG and not. Although, it's, you know, I think... Yeah, you, so, only, you only had... You didn't have yeah. as many choices. The, I mean, the two that kill me, right? Number the first, Poltergeist. In retrospect, I would never have remembered Poltergeist was not rated R. But then the other one, and of course, it's because of when it came out. But Jaws, PG. Yeah. That movie yeah. scared a whole generation of people <laughs> more than like any movie before or Man since. Man gets eaten by a shark. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty intense. Yeah, PG. Yeah. Of course, I was happy because I got to see it in the theaters. <laughs> uh, I was really happy. But yeah, it's an interesting, and that's a whole, that could be a whole other podcast, you know, on, on a different subject of just diving into the rating system and yeah, all that. Yeah, you know, yeah. there was that documentary about it a few years ago. It was fascinating, you know, that looked about how movies get rated. Oh, yeah. And things like yeah, that. Yeah, and how, you know, and how, uh, you know, uh, how wild they could get before yeah. the official rating system. Yeah. And and then once once that rating system was in place, like how 
crafty directors circumvented yeah. <laughs> it. <laughs> That's right. You know, it was, uh, yeah, right. it is a fascinating idea. Okay, so before we get into that, and you're right, there's some good stuff on this list. We had a lot of fun with, uh, well, we had a, yeah, you can call it fun, with <laughs> sex and death last week, and we thanked the great crowd that came out on Valentine's Day night. That God was bless awesome. you. Yeah, as we did it live at the Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio, where we are, of course, once a month for the Fright Club Live. And we showed Trouble Every Day, yes. which, you know, I think you were pleasantly surprised. I was. I was really worried that people would, would openly dislike it because it's, it's slow and it's grim. The song is great, though. The song is great. But I, I really think just about everybody liked it, except that I'm sad about this Tammy. Tammy didn't like Tammy it. Tammy didn't like it. I'm well, sorry about that. I would have been surprised if there wasn't anybody that didn't like it because it is. It's... Those two scenes, there's two scenes in particular that are that are tough to watch. Yeah, they are, and uh, and it's and it's weird. I was glad we showed it because you know we vary the vary the thermometer yes. about you know how how intense that we get for Fright Club Live. So uh, you never know. No. Come on out for the variety. And then Richard uh, commented, and he actually mentioned this. He came to the event, and he mentioned at the event that he thought Dead Girl yeah, right. would have been good. And you pointed out rightly so. I am not a fan. Not a fan of the Dead of Girl. Dead Girl, but. That's not the only reason it wasn't Right, on. Yeah. because we, we do intend to do a follow-up podcast, Death and Sex. Right. So death comes first, which means Dead Girl is, in fact, in contention. It could make that list. I like your little uh, double entendre there, Death Comes First. Nice. <laughs> Did you mean that? <laughs> Funny anyway. Okay, so that's, uh, that's coming down the line. But, yeah, you talked about the, the G horror, which is crazy, and PG-13 horror. I mean, PG horror. But now, since Red Dawn On, we're at PG-13... And what's cool about it and is that it shows you that you don't you you, you still can be plenty scary yeah. without going the full gore. Yeah. You know, and because there's some stuff on here that they're scary. They're scary movies. Yes. Yeah. And there are some, you know, there are some specifics like you you can't use the F word twice. Right. You can use it once. Once you do that second time, you get moved to the R rating. No way. Uh, no. Oh no. No, no way. No fake wang being eaten by a dog. No. Can't have that. None of that. <laughs> and then you know, and then there's also things like oh, films are rated R and probably shouldn't be. Like The Lost Boys is rated R. The Craft yeah. is rated R. I would not for a second think either one of those films would get an R rating. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, not only because they seem very mild, both of them to me, but because they're clearly targeted at teenagers. Right. You would that's think, their audience. You would think at the time they, they, they would have said, no way, that's going to be the kiss of death. We have to go back and yeah. do something to get to get this PG-13 rating. Yeah, that that is a little bit, little bit odd. But, um, all right, any other... Any other big rules before we get into the top six? No, top just okay. just that. Just that they yeah. had to be great, they had to be scary, and they had to be PG-13. Yeah. And they're a good example, too, of not just being scary, but of effective horror storytelling yes. as well. Agreed. Because in, in atmospherics, so many of these movies here have great atmospherics that lend to the creepiness. So let's get to it. Number six is an American nurse living and working in Tokyo. Uh, is exposed to a mysterious supernatural curse, one that locks a person in a powerful rage before claiming their life and spreading to another victim from 2004, The Grudge. The whole time I was in that house, I felt something was wrong. What happened there? So this is the American remake of Takashi Shimizu's Ju-On, The Grudge. And 
one of my very favorite things about this movie is that the two main characters from Jew on Toshio and Kayako, they're they're played by the original actors. Uh, yeah, and the other cool thing is of all those remakes, of all those American remakes of the of the Japanese films, this is the only one that kept the location in Japan. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same writer director. Right. Uh, who 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 made the American version of it. And it's just you know, it's not a work of art. It's not a great, brilliant movie, but it is a very fun horror film. It's one that you can watch a hundred times and still like. It's effective. And one of the things I like about it, which is one of the things that makes it a surprise to me that it is not rated R, is that there is violence and or death in almost every single scene. Mm-hmm. So from the opening scene where Bill Pullman, it's kind of a flashback to the, the Bill Pullman part of it, you know, onward. And it's so creepy. And the sound design just kills you. I'm glad you brought that up because you know I love the sound and the, the the snapping and the popping sounds that accompany the appearance of Kiyaku mm-hmm. uh, were made made with a hair comb. Interesting. I love that. That's interesting. You see getting right up to the microphone, oh, you know, yeah. with a hair comb. That is the Chris. Uh, 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 yeah, uh, kind of. Always, it is the creepiest but, but now, noise. But now that mm-hmm. I know that, I can just you know you can just slowly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do the you know the the teeth of the comb and I yeah it makes perfect sense. Love that. I do. I love that. And I can't say that I'm a big Sarah Michelle Geller fan, but she does a fine job in this. But, I mean, it's 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 really the supporting cast around her. And, again, for a PG-13 movie, I mean, do you remember what happened to Yoko? Oh, my God. I remember watching the movie and saying to myself, is that a jaw? Like, there's a jaw on the ground. Yeah, and then the other thing, well, and, and here's one, you know, we just talked about uh, films that we couldn't believe due to their audience that they accepted an R rating. Well, this this film from the beginning was very committed to getting that PG-13 rating. So they kept uh, the on the implication that Takeo repeatedly stabbed Kiyako with the box cutter. Mm-hmm. That was omitted from the film, but it was in the original film. They took it out of mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. because they they were they knew they had to keep it to a PG-13 rating. So that's why in the in the staircase sequence She's covered in blood, mm-hmm. but they don't really go into why. It's still creepy that she's covered in blood. Well, you, well, not only that, she shows up back at the office. She's bringing the curse home with her back at the office, and she's missing her jaw. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, the guy's like, Yoko, are you okay? No, she's not no, okay. No, I'm far from okay. <laughs> and speaking of that, that staircase scene, that was done. That was done without any sort of extra special effects because... The actress was a trained contortionist wow. and a ballet Shut dancer. Up. Performed the stunts herself. That's not awesome. Tra- I know, isn't that awesome? That is so great. Because, you know, it you- makes me want to go back, watch, go back and watch it again because you're so used to seeing that kind of a herky jerky contortionist right. thing that you just assume it's an effect. That's yeah. awesome. No, no contortionist. You and your practical effects. I know, love it. So the Grudge coming in at number six for our PG thirteen horror. That's from two thousand four. Moving up to film number five, a family looks to prevent evil spirits from trapping their comatose child in a realm called The Further. From 2010, the original Insidious. I went into Dalton's room. There was something in there with him. I know someone who can help. I want to leave. I want to leave this house. What is it? It's not the house that's haunted. It's your son. This came out right before the Conjuring series. Right. And after the Saw. 
yeah. series. So but right in between. Director, yeah. And it's the same writer-director. James Lee Wanell is the writer, uh, and, and James, James Wan, Wan. Mm-hmm. right, is the director. And so I really loved The Conjuring. I thought it was just great. I really am not a fan of the Saw series, and that includes the original. And I don't particularly care I'm for it. I'm with you on that. But I thought Insidious was just a splashy, nutty, creepy thing. Fun movie, and and one of the things I thought that both the writer and director captured in a way that very few people do is that sort of other world realm. It's really hard to do, mm-hmm. right? Because generally speaking, it's like you're you're articulating something that really lives in somebody else's subconscious, and you're never going to match their creepiness. Right? But they did. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And the monsters looked creepy. Yeah, loved that. Those were effective. You mentioned James. That guy at the organ? Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Creepy stuff. And you mentioned James Wan, who directed both. He directed Insidious 1 and 2 and Conjuring 1 and 2. And he had, apparently, he had the whole Conjuring franchise in mind while directing this first movie. So there's a number of points that can be spotted in both the first and second Insidious movies that kind of live in that universe. So, mm. man, he, he was he was really into it that entire time. Wow. Can you imagine? I bet he was a joy to be around. <laughs> <laughs> Just happy-go-lucky James yeah. Wan. I don't think, you know, I don't think Insidious sequeled particularly well. No. Um, no and no, especially because so many of them now have to be prequels because they killed off Lin Shay's character in the first one. So yeah. it doesn't really work out that and well. This, this last one was. Whew, yeah, it was, was bad. Weak. It was but, bad. Uh, I'm with you on this first one. It's uh, and, and it's got, you know, if you're looking, it has some cheeky little callbacks. There's got, you know, in the in the classroom on the chalkboard because mm-hmm. uh, Patrick Wilson's character. Teacher. Yeah. On the on the chalkboard there, you can see James Wan's name is written on there. Plus, there's a drawing of the puppet from Saw. Is on there. So there's all sorts of those things on the chalkboard if if if, if you're looking. But uh, yeah, it's it's got just that overall creepy vibe. The performance is not only Patrick Wilson, but Rose Byrne, right? Who's just she's one of those people. Whether she's doing comedy yeah, she's or even all, a horror really movie is. like this, she's 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 yeah. always solid. She is. She's always very solid. very good. Barbara Hershey does a great job. Yes. Lynn Shea is always good as a as a character, which is funny too because you mentioned. I mean, she's primarily until this, and she's now she's gotten famous really for the Insidious franchise. Mm-hmm. But before this, she was just. <laughs> A funny, a tremendously funny ca- uh, comic actress. Yeah. There's something about Mary, yeah. if you remember. She yeah. was pretty unforgettable yeah, in that. Yeah, she was. But yeah, they all are very, give very authentic performances. And uh, the creepiness, the creepy level is is good. And the and the scare level is fine without resorting to, you know, what I hate, red herrings and too many jump scares. There, it's got some jump scares. But, but again, uh, James Wan does jump scares yes, better than almost anybody. He really does. There can be a, I'm not saying you can't ever have jump scares. Mm-hmm. You can't. But it's so... It's lazy. It's, so, it's, it's done it, lazily well, too it's often. It's so clear when it's really lazy. Mm-hmm. When, when this is all you have and you, and you pour it on with music stabs mm-hmm. to go along with it mm-hmm. and red herrings. I mean, or, and the other thing is that very often when, when in a film, in a horror film, when somebody's going to flash to something supernatural, you get this like quick cut like Marilyn Manson video looking thing. Mm-hmm. And, and again, James Wan doesn't do that. He delivers practical effects Creepy-ass characters, yeah. creepy demons, creepy ghosts. He does a great job with that. Yeah. And so the films wind up feeling more authentically creepy and like your, sort of your own childhood nightmares. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not saying, I know there are people that are fans of jump scare horror, and that's great. That's just not my bag when it's, when it's lazily done, sure. which, is, which is too often. But you're right, James Wan uh, does it very well. So that's movie number five, the original Insidious, moving up on our list of PG-13 horror Number four, a boy who communicates with spirits 
seeks the help of a disheartened child psychologist from 1999, The Sixth Sense. You know the accident up there? Yeah. A lady, she broke her neck. Oh my God, where is she? Standing next to my window. You have a secret, but you don't want to tell me. I see dead people walking around like regular people. I don't see anything. Are you sure they're there? Every gift. Is anyone there? Is a blessing. The sixth sense. Please make them leave. I'm working on it. This movie, of course, has become iconic now. Just Mm -hmm. even the line, I see dead people. But this is an example of how out of left field this movie came in 1999. It flew so under the radar that in Entertainment Weekly's 134 films, summer movie preview of 1999, it was not even listed. Wow. Not even listed. Wow. And it starred Bruce Willis. Well, I mean, by think... 1999, he was not really Bruce Willis well, anymore. He was still a big name. Mm. But that's, a, I mean, 134 movies, yeah. and that's not going to be listed. That no, that's, pr- that is crazy. That's pretty amazing. But this is one, you talk about word of mouth. Oh, wow. Holy moly. Yeah. As soon as people saw that, not only... Did they give word of mouth, but then people came back to see it again because they wanted to then be in on the, you know, on the twist and be able to look at things and and catch things. Yeah. And let's face it, some people were trying to probably poke holes in it. Oh, right. Oh, no, right there. But it holds up. It does hold up. It really holds up. And that's the thing. I mean, it's it's it was a blessing and a curse for M. Night Shyamalan because... He painted himself into a corner yep. that that now everybody expected a surprise twist that they didn't see coming, you know, and he delivered brilliantly in his next two efforts. Uh, and then he just unbreakable. Yeah, un- yeah unbreakable and signs yeah. also solid. Yes. Yeah. But then after that, you know, he got he was just too wedded to the trickery and the stories got too, got too cutesy. Yeah. And the stories yeah. just weren't good enough. They weren't, and and no. then and then he became one of the sort of least he's like a pariah really he and was. then he's had a good comeback so so uh for the visit a couple of years ago and then of course split this yeah. year so um yeah so yeah he's got his got a bit of his groove back yeah both of which by the way are horror films with a twist ending <laughs> yeah yeah they but are. but yeah he's yeah he's got his mojo back but it all started here and it's interesting when you talk about that iconic line now i see dead people there was some really when they were making the movie there was some real angst over that because if you remember when he says it when Haley Joel says it. The camera does a close up on Bruce Willis's face, uh-huh. so the producers were worried that was going to give it away. That, that that oh, you know, that's who he's looking at. He's seeing dead people, but none of the audiences in the test screenings uh, really picked it out, so they went with it. You know, <laughs> well, I'm glad they did. Yeah, I'm glad they did <laughs> I don't too. think they needed to work harder to uh, obscure the the twist ending because should we have? I'm sorry, should we have said spoiler alert? <laughs> Come it's on, 1999. <laughs> Grown-ups were born that year. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, you know, and it doesn't age super-duper well, to be honest with you, but the performances are so, like, so heart-wrenching. You know, Haley Joel Osment, of course, you yeah. just, oh my God, you feel for this poor little it's boy. Amazing. Bruce Willis is really, really very tender. Tony Collette is wonderful, and as he, she always is. And you know, the funny thing, she almost didn't even audition for it. She she auditioned for it as an afterthought because she was in New York City auditioning for Bringing Out the Dead. Remember that? Yeah. She was Scorsese. auditioning for that. And she didn't even, she said the scene in the car toward the end of the mm-hmm. movie, which is a pretty you know, yeah. memorable scene. That was the audition scene. And she really loved that scene so much. Then she decided she really wanted it. Mm-hmm. But at first, it was just, just kind of like an afterthought audition. And you're right. She was solid. And then 
Remember how we could not believe that was Donnie Wahlberg yes. in the beginning. Apparently, he lost like 45 pounds because he does. He looks emaciated and weird and drugged out. And I had to go back and I didn't even realize it. No. I'm like, that was Donnie Wahlberg. Yeah. So, but you're, I think maybe it ages a little better than, than you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I get your points, but um, I still think, man, it, it's one of those movies that is hard to watch now, you know, without the all the cultural yeah. things that like, sort, of, sort of like Blair Witch. Yeah. It, you can't go back and watch it in the way that we mm-hmm. watched it then. Right. You know, because there's so much has come after, but it was still one of the very few horror movies to receive an Oscar nomination yep. for best picture. Yep. You know, the exorcist did jaws did silence of the lambs, of course won, mm-hmm. and this one didn't win, but it was nominated. Yep. So that's, you know, that's getting up there with yes. the rare air. Yes, it is. And still one that, uh, boy, I like a lot. The sixth sense. Number four in our PG 13 horror from 1999. So moving up to number three, this is a young solicitor traveling to a remote village where he discovers the vengeful ghost of a scorned woman is terrifying the locals from 2012, The Woman in Black. There are those who believe the whole town is cursed, but the house in the marsh is by far the worst. Once is unknown, but she always comes back. The spectre of darkness. The woman in black. There are so many great things about this movie. And I'm going to start with Jane Goldman. She wrote the, the screenplay. She adapted Susan Hill's novel, which actually had been made previously but I think as the, a BBC yeah, TV but I movie. Think the, very, the, the different, they have very... You know, very wildly different arcs. They do. They do. Although, although the original is very creepy. But what I love about Jane Goldman, it, well, basically, is all of her work. She wrote Kickass. She nice. wrote X Men First Class, X Men Days of Future Past. I mean, she just, I love what she does. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, and so, and I love her screenplay very much. And then James Watkins directed it, who did Eden Lake, a mm-hmm. Fright Club favorite. Yeah. And and so, and it's interesting. It is a scary movie. It is. It is a scary concept also and this that w- if you see her, you are screwed. Yeah. And not just you. Yeah. If you see her, your kids are going to die. How right. scary is that? Right. The whole thing. And I'll be honest. This one caught me by surprise. I was not expecting to love this as much as I did. And it was the first post Harry Potter yep. for Daniel Radcliffe. Yep. And he, you know, he comes out quite well. You he know? does. He, he really does. And that's the thing. I was, I was really worried about that because... You know, I just have a soft spot for I, Harry, you know, just because you know, yeah. of our son. I yeah. wanted him to do well. And I thought he's going to he's another supernatural movie. Like, no, I don't know. One. But oh, yeah. And it's Guns so hot. we talked about atmospherics. I love the atmospherics in this movie. What everything looks like. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's it's colors. It's it's pallid. Everything yeah. about it. It makes you feel like you're in a haunted house. It really does. And there are some special effects. There are some some generated effects in this, yeah. but but they do it well. Because I worried about that also from the trailer. Now, when a trailer is just going to cut it down to very certain quick things, it looked like it was just going to be all jump scares yeah. and all of that like, you know, shadowy, ashen-faced uh, digital effect. And it really wasn't. I mean, the way that, that it was drawn out... It looked, like you said, it looked really good. But more than anything, I mean, it it benefited the way he he dealt with the uh, practical effects and the and the uh, computer generated benefited the story. And the story is just scary. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing is creepy, and 
you know, little touches, uh, the music boxes and the mechanical toys yeah. in the nursery scene, mm-hmm. those were real. They were genuine antique toys from the period, you know, loaned to the production by a, by an antique collector. So, you know, little touches like that, mm-hmm. but everything adds up to to just add to the authenticity of the creepiness. You could almost just like feel the cobwebs, you know, yeah. as you're walking down the hall. And then you're right. You're you're terrified of getting a glimpse. Yeah. At all. And and there's no blood there. No. If you're just looking at a woman, there's no blood. No. But it's creepy and scary. It's so scary. And then and then also, I want to give them credit because that, that ending, that did not pull a punch. I didn't see that ending coming. It was the perfect way to end it. And I, I think that it probably was not the Hollywood way to end it. Well, here's, here's the thing about that. That quote-unquote happy ending uh, was a last-minute addition because test audiences... We're not too happy that it was not, how should I say it? It was too depressing. And so they added that reconciliation, you know, uh-huh. uh, without spoiling anything. Right. I mean, but, you know, but yeah, that was not in the original in the original film. But, That's interesting because it still isn't a happy ending. But at least it's a, they're reunited, yeah. You, yeah. you know, and it feels so good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so, but, but think about if that wasn't even in. Then it would be no. That would have been probably too dark even oh, for me. Man. That would have been too dreary even yeah, for me. Yeah, because if you didn't see it coming, just, no. you know, think about oh, oh man, yeah. you'd be out there going oh yeah, just be down. Yes. So yeah, it's not the happiest of endings, but it's at least more of an uptick than it, it might have been. Yeek. Uh, but you're right. This one is just a well put together in 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 all manner, and maybe even more so when you don't expect it as much. Right. Just surprised me in in such a uh, you know a pleasant, that is a l- a pleasant low surprise. expectations yeah. really benefit a film. Yeah, but uh, The Woman in Black, number three on our PG-13 horror. Moving up to number two, a woman who lives in a darkened old house. It's another darkened old house. Love that. With her two photosensitive children, becomes convinced that her family home is haunted. From 2001, The Others. Sometimes the world of the dead gets mixed up with the world of the living. You told your brother that there was someone else in the room. There was. That'll do, Anne. I've seen them, too. Sooner or later, she'll see them. What do you want? Now, this movie at the time, kind of a, I mean, Nicole Kidman, big star, Mm -hmm. but this movie earned over $200 million. Wow. Yeah. Big, big hit. I, I bet you they didn't expect that. No, I'm sure that's have. true. No. It's a twist ending. Let's it is. be real. It's it, a twist oh, of course ending, it is, yeah. But it's so satisfying. It is. And, you know, I remember the trailer, and it gives you the sense that it's a jump scare movie. And, boy, it is not. There's one. There's one. And it's really well handled. And it's kind of a turning point in the film when you realize who's scaring whom in this movie. Yeah. You know, um, um. The whole, like, atmospherics, like what you were saying earlier, I don't think we've got a movie on this list that does atmosphere better than this film. Yeah. It, and, and it's got that, that classic haunted house heroine of, like, the brittle, mm-hmm. you know, and nobody does that. A brittle, damaged, not that likable, but still the solid center of a movie. Nobody does that better than Nicole Kidman. Oh, she was great. And she really translates her terror. She does. Uh, she, yeah, she's great. And apparently she didn't really want to be in it. At first, uh, she was kind of urging Alejandro Amenabar, I believe, Ooh, did I nail it? nice to find another actress for the part. She was uh, originally reluctant to do a film that explored, in her words, such dark places. Hmm. 
Uh, but uh, she kept at it. And boy, you're right. She just anchors the entire thing. No, not to take anything away from the kids. Oh, the, my God, they're great. The kids are great. And they I guess they were cast after an extensive, extensive search. Uh, but they got a couple of couple of good ones. And then also uh, Fanola Flanagan, who plays the like the <laughs> housekeeper, you know, she's because yes. she's the anchor. She really is. She's, she's wonderful. And she's one of those character actors yeah. that always pops up. You're like, yeah, her. Yeah. And she's always good. Yeah. She was great. She was great. And oh my God, I love those kids. I love them so much. And and every time I see this movie, I wound up, I wind up wishing I could figure out a way to work the phrase county custard into my everyday. (laughs) I love that. Oh, you're just a county custard. Oh my God. I love those kids. You know, it's uh, the movie's base. The basis of the movie is an episode of an old British series called Armchair Theater. And they had an episode called The Others back in 1970. And then it was remade as a movie called Voices in 1972. Now, the again, the narrative is different, mm-hmm. but the basic story is the same. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is the one to uh, this is the one to be remembered, and this is the one to to, to keep checking out because I don't want to say it was as a surprise as the Woman in Black was, but I still didn't expect as much from it, as much satisfaction as I got from it. The filmmaker, uh, he's made another horror film called Thesis, which is good, and it doesn't predict this in any way. But then he also made The Sea Inside, which is not a horror film, but it's a magnificent film with Javier Bardem, and Mm -hmm. everybody should see it. And so uh, it's funny to me the way this film kind of straddles those two, because Thesis is very much a horror film. And then The Sea Inside is very much just a beautiful, ponderous, indie, you know, drama. And this is just a lovely movie to look at. In that sort of, you know, creepy old dark house kind of a way. And it's one where at the end, which is always very satisfying, you realize you're not watching the movie you thought you were watching. Yeah. But if you go back in your head, you realize, okay, but that it makes sense. If I should I should have. Sort of like the sixth sense. Yes. The clues are yes, there. They're all there. Yeah, exactly. And interesting, the disease. And they are dark. Yeah. The disease that the children have in the movie is an actual disease. Basically, an extreme sensitivity to sunlight. Very rare. Roughly a thousand people in the world have it. And it's just, I mean, it is such a brilliant conceit because that's the reason why the doors always have to be Mm -hmm. closed and they always have to be locked. And you're closing and locking and closing and locking and, you know, pulling the shades. And it was, you know, once you get to the end and you realize what that actually means for the (laughs) others, it's like, oh, my God, that would be so scary. Yeah, it's really well-conceived and well-executed. Number two on our list of PG-13 Horror, The Others. Moving up to number one, I bet a lot of people could guess it, especially longtime Fright Clubbers, because we've mentioned this when we mention how well PG-13 can be done in horror. And it's a journalist investigating a mysterious videotape which seems to cause the death of anyone in a week of viewing it from 2002 The Ring. Because that is a videotape that kills you when you watch it. You start to play it, and it's like somebody's nightmare. And as soon as it's over, your phone rings. And what they say is, you will die in seven days. I watched the tape. another J-horror, right? The remake of Hideo Nakata's Ringu. Right. And as we've mentioned before, it betters it. It does. And and it's that's not common. And I like Ringu. But I do too. I, but I much prefer The Ring. Agreed. So it's one of Gore Verbinski's earliest films. And, you know, 
you can see the strength of the director in the way this film is shot, the way it's put together. It does have some jump scares, but when when they come at you, it's it's uh, that's the thing. The very first real scare, right, is that face. The, the girl's face after she, they're found, that's the first real mm-hmm. scare, the mm-hmm. first real jump scare. And and when you look back and think about your reaction to that face, that was when I think, that was PG-13? <laughs> <laughs> and that was so quick. It was such a quick shot. You it just was. see it for just a second. But it's enough. You know, and up until just last year, until It uh, bettered it, this was the highest grossing horror remake mm-hmm. in history until nice. until It. So, yeah, this one... This one really uh, came out gangbusters. Oh, yeah, it was huge. It was absolutely huge. It was scary. It was creepy, but it was also fun. Yeah. It was because it was. It had that mystery running out of time thing. You know, you had that. You had, uh, of course, uh, Naomi Watts, who's who's very, very good. She was a terrible mom in this movie. <laughs> she is a terrible mom. <laughs> that, you like, that you like to point out. And the, the role actually was first offered to Jennifer Connelly, who ended up doing a Dark J-horror Water. later. She Dark did Water. Dark Water, which... Uh, no, it's not very yeah, good. No. no. Uh, it was offered to Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yikes. Gwyneth Paltrow. Huh. Kate Beckinsale. And then finally, Naomi Watts. Wow, and she she does it really well. She does because um, well, she's a good actress. Yes, yeah, uh, that's obviously. True. No, she does. She does it really well. And uh, David Dorfman, who plays yeah. her little boy, Aiden. Uh, you know, I love that kid, and he was so perfect in this movie because he's just such a just tiny, small yeah. adult man. You know, yeah. he's <laughs> like, calling his mom by her first name. That's right. Um, <laughs> and the one thing that I know, we always, I always come back to this, especially, but at the risk of, uh, of repetition. So much of this movie, at least to me, hinges on the videotape. Oh, yes, it does. If your entire conceit is going to be this videotape is so creepy, when we see it, it's got to be creepy. Oh, yeah. It was creepy. Yeah, it was. It it, was super creepy. Yeah, it was whoever put together the actual little sequences. And I know know they went back and in the course of the movie explained some of them. Uh, but or they, you know, they echo them. Yeah, you know, throughout the film. But uh, just the whole thing after you watch it, it's a little goosebumpy. You're yeah. like, yeah, that's creepy. Yeah, but not only that, uh, you know, uh, Brian Cox. Really, every scene he's in, uh, the scene in the bathtub is, mm-hmm. and then the horse. A lot of people point to that as being the thing that they remember the most. Uh-huh. And, and it's true. If I think about that horse thing, I think I, again, I can't believe this is PG thirteen. But Samara coming out of the well <laughs> and then out of your TV—that was scary shit. Well, it's funny you brought up um, Brian Cox and that scene because that's one of the many things that was trimmed to keep this PG thirteen. Ah. Originally, that scene, the scene with uh, Brian Cox in the bathtub, mm-hmm. was much more graphic. Ooh. So they trimmed that out. Then they had this whole bookend with Chris Cooper. I remember you talking yeah, about this before. Yeah, that, that he was a, a, a convict that was trying to get uh, Rachel to reopen his case and prove his innocence, but he he was guilty. And so I guess in the then the epilogue, she comes back and gives him the videotape to watch. Ah. Uh, and there's this whole thing. And of course, Chris Cooper's a you know great actor. Yes, he is. But they ended up cutting the entire thing. A bunch of things they had to cut out to keep it that PG-13, which, you know, you look back on it and it was probably a very smart move because right. they still were obviously, we're given it this love here, able to keep it very scary, but yet kept it at PG-13. And, and as we just said, it made a boo-coo bucks. It did. But, you know, if you think about the change in the ending, right, what she had to do to save herself and save her son is to get somebody else to watch the tape. Make copies. Right. Yeah. Well, so, so you know, so she gives it to him, but who cares? When they make a copy and then it, they almost look to us 
You know, it's like what it makes you realize without coming out and saying it is that, oh, my God, we just watched it. Like, (laughs) I just watched it. Oh, no. You know, it really draws you into the whole curse of the film. And the scene, too, where she, Samara, first gets killed and put in the well, I guess that was much more elaborate. Oh, That she didn't die easily. Oh. So you can see how that would really bring an R rating. Yeah. So they, they really had to cut that out a lot. And I know, I mean, we've said it before, but but one of the great bits of trickery with this movie is, of course, that, I mean, clearly we know it's not that same cute little girl who's climbing out of the well. Right. But it's a grown man. Yeah. That's really the thing. It's a grown man in a, in a dress and a wig, and he's all wet and gray, and that's one of the reasons why it's so grotesque and super scary. Yeah, and they had a great early viral campaign for this. They They just cleverly left some VHS copies of the, just the video in theaters for people to find and just, you know, didn't didn't quite work to the level of, say, Blair Witch, but it just got the ball rolling. I think at the time, didn't we? I remember talking about being surprised it was PG-13. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I did not realize when I saw it that it was PG-13. It didn't occur to me. And, you know, at that time, PG-13 horror films were not super. I mean, today it happens constantly because people are after that dollar right Mm -hmm. and so they make all bad kind of things you know terrible horror films because they want a bunch of 13 14 15 year olds to to just go see it one time so it's all jump scares and it's not worth watching but at that time that was not that common of uh an event and it was in the in the post scream era so it was mostly w b tv stars who were in bad slashers but they were rated r exactly Uh but they were rated r and so it never even dawned on me and certainly watching it i didn't think oh this is pg-13 i mean i was really surprised i i noticed it like in the newspaper or something sometime later i thought well this has got to be a misprint the ring is not (laughs) pg-13 oh no it sure is it got past them so uh good for them that is why it's number one on our list of pg-13 horrors so let us know what you think do we miss any uh easiest way to chime in is on twitter and that's m-a-d-d-w-o-l-f mad wolf on twitter on uh, Facebook and Instagram, we're Mad Wolf Columbus, and the main website is madwolf.com. And you can actually also find our other podcasts that we do once a week called The Screening Room, where we just run down all the latest releases in theaters and on video, regardless of genre, letting you know what's, what's worth it and what isn't. You can That's check right. that out on the website and also anywhere that you listen to this podcast or other podcasts. So check that out if you will. But yeah, keep in touch. We love to get the feedback. So we're looking forward to the next Fright Club Live. We'll be back at Gateway Film Center, Columbus, Ohio. We would love to have you join us. Wednesday, March 14th, where we are going to screen the Aussie comedy 100 Bloody Acres and talk about farming horror. Farming horror. Farm frights. You know what? We have not settled on the song. So the only caveat, would love to get your recommendations, but no country. No, uh, yeah. no country music. No we country have a no music. country rule here. We do. <laughs> no offense, but uh, I spent 20 years in country music radio, and I've had enough. Thank you. For, and I know Hope has had more <laughs> yes. than enough. <laughs> yes, I have. So uh, still working on that song. But uh, hey, we were glad to bring out a little Judas Priest for tonight. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, keep in touch if you can. And until next time, this is George Wolf. This is Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. But only PG-13 frightful. <laughs>